What's going on guys and welcome back to the Cinematic Dimension Podcast. This is podcast number 37 and we are here to discuss the Lion King Dimension. And with me I brought in an expert on all things Lion King. Please welcome to the show Ethan Gilchrist. Hey everyone, what's going on? Glad to be here for the Big 37. Yeah, it's been a while since you've been on the show. I see uh, see you copying my beard. Yeah, yeah, growing out the beard to celebrate the release of Lion King. Yeah, you got a mane going? Yeah, I got the mane going. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that Simba look. Kind of batches, yeah, Mufasa and Simba. So, as you know, The Lion King was just released, um, I believe, this week for Disney, and it was a juggernaut at the box office, taking in $185 million. Is that what it deserves? That's another topic to be discussed. But what we're going to do is we're going to take a look back at the history of The Lion King franchise and kind of find out why it's this... Um, 20 year old franchise was well, over 20 years right? yeah, it came 20, out, 25 years right? 25 years basically about how this franchise has stayed so strong with releasing very little material okay so let's take it back to the beginning we're going back to 1994 which where we saw the very first release of the first Lion King so can you take us back to that day yeah well um, I wasn't alive but uh, I was not actually I was born in 1994, and I have a feeling this film came out before I was born. But I literally grew up with this film, Lion King, which is kind of crazy. So I've kind of been the Lion King my whole life. But you were born after, and you kind of found out what the Lion King was. So coming from a person with a little younger perspective, how do you view the Lion King, the classic original film? Yeah, I mean, I don't... I don't. It's funny that I don't remember really watching it so all that so long ago really i mean i watched it like non-stop on vhs yeah i don't know it's that's a weird kind of thing to think about um it's like your generation grew up with so many more animated films that that you may have just you know didn't really connect or this one wasn't really shown to you that often yeah well i think it was a little different because uh, pixar started to pick up and animation uh 3d animation started to become more of the king at that time uh, as things kind of faded out with tarzan being the last 2d really from disney for a while yeah which certainly obviously things changed then but i mean that that doesn't take away from the lion king in any way yeah i mean we're getting a little off track but really the early 2000s is when the 2d animation died and things like shrek and pixar and all that stuff started taking over so let's get into the very first Lion King. Well, I want to talk a little about about behind the scenes first. We watched this little cool documentary on the Blu-ray about how Lion King was actually made. And it was made by these two directors, which were... Roger Allers and Rob Minkoff. Yeah, who kind of worked a little bit in animation, but they weren't really big names. And as they um, Disney um, greenlit this project to be made, it was being made at the same time as Pocahontas, which came out in 1995. And the animation department is, you know, a good amount of people, but it takes a lot of animators to do a animated film, right? Yeah, so they were kind of, it kind of became a Team A, Team B thing, and Team A, everyone wanted to be working on Pocahontas. They thought that's going to be the legendary story that everyone wants to hear. No one cares about this Lion King project. And of course, Mel Gibson is voicing it. That's all you need to know. Yeah. Not Pocahontas. Just 
<laughs> yeah, but um, but most that, of the animators didn't want to work on the Lion King. Yeah, so a team A, team B kind of that situation makes the Lion King a much more interesting project because it was sort of like people didn't have faith in the Lion King being a success. Uh, one of the like the lead animator for Simba and Mufasa was this guy who'd never he'd never been the lead animator on anything before. It was someone who's new, really. Yeah, and it kind of allowed them to have more freedom. And I think that's how that distinct Lion King style that you've never seen in any other animated film was created. Because these guys were like, yeah. were able to raise the bar since there wasn't such a mandate from Disney to make it look a certain way and sound a certain way. Yeah, and I think it was almost, there was a different sort of pressure on a film like this when, um, you know. There wasn't pressure, right? Yeah, that's kind of what I mean. I think it was more of a pressure of these guys wanted to prove themselves. They wanted to prove to Disney that they had the successful story, the one that um, people should care to see. Yeah, and the end product was this masterpiece of a film that clocks in without the credits only an hour and 20 minutes. And every time I watch it, I'm like, there's no time. We're going to run out of time. How are we going to finish this story? But I think it's one of those things where it shows that not everything has to be three hours long. Some stories can be contained in a short 90 minutes if the pace is on point, and the pace is on point with The Lion King. Yeah, it's it's really interesting how much the film managed to accomplish with its time, and I think that comes down to a lot of things. One of those things, especially being, I think, the music and the way that the music is able to move things forward. Yeah, the iconic music, it's not just there. It's part of the narrative story. Yeah, it's how it's how they're able to skip years with the song like Hakuna Matata. Yeah, they jump to like um, Simba being a little kid to being an adult. Yeah, and this film, all you know, it just doesn't waste time with how it builds its characters and the moments. You know, it just goes straight to the main major points of what do you want to see from Simba's development and you know from from the way he fails to how he's able to get over his failure. Things like that are really quick scenes. Or yeah, even like um, um, when Rafiki finds Simba towards the end of the movie and he tells him, you can either run from your past or learn from it. And it's just that one little sentence convinces Simba to go back and fight yeah. Scar. It's not a whole monologue yeah. and trying to figure out his life. Yeah, you know, all he has to do is hit him on the head with his stick and that convinces Simba, you know, am I going to hide from my pain or am I going to face it? And I think that's how it is in real life too. Sometimes when you're trying to make these big decisions... Sometimes you just got to go quick because if you start overthinking it, you're, not, you're just going to let life pass you by. And that's what I think one of the messages in this movie was about. Yeah, it certainly makes it a little more um, maybe realistic in some ways, a more relatable story for people, which I think is so interesting for The Lion King that it feels like a very relatable story. And that's why it connects to people so much. Yeah. But most of that is done because, not just because the animation is so beautiful, but I think... The dialogue and the voices are probably the most on point I've ever seen in a voice casting for an animated film. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, from from Nathan Lane to Ernie Pyle to Matthew Broderick. To Mona Pumbaa, which everyone forgets that Matthew Broderick is adult Simba. He forgets that sometimes. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Inspector Gadget. And um, Jeremy Irons is Scar, James Earl Jones is Mufasa, Whoopi Goldberg's even in there. Yeah, she's, uh, well, even like the little minor characters, like the hyenas, they're memorable because they have very little lines, but how what they say and how they say it just sticks with you. Yeah, the, the lines are always delivered, like, there's no question, no line feels like it's delivered, you know, in a, in a half-done sort of way. Yeah, and then, um, <clears throat> it's also a self-contained story that it has a clear beginning and a clear end. 
that you feel satisfied with the story. You feel like you've been through a journey. It starts yeah. with the raising of Simba on Pride Rock and then the raising of his daughter, Kiara, at the yeah. end of Pride Rock. Yeah, yeah, that's sort of, that's where it ties right into the main the main opening theme, the Circle of Life. Yeah, which to me, it always feels like lions have a very short lifespan. It feels like they're going to die in any second. <laughs> yeah, they go through very quick. And this was at the height of the Disney Renaissance, where um, you, before this you had Aladdin, the Little Mermaid, and most of those Disney Renaissance Renaissance stories, they were um, they were like fables and mythologies that have been known for centuries that Disney was doing their own interpretation of. But this Lion King was really a, an original story, original IP. Yeah, and I think it it really does feel um, like something you haven't seen before. Uh, I know people say it's related to Hamlet, which I don't know enough about to talk about. I think, but I think that was after, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think it's, um, I think it in general it does feel like a Shakespearean story in some ways. Having you know like a king and a king that gets killed by the brother who wanted to be the king the whole life, and then having the, having the son kind of run off and be raised by the two fools of the story. It feels like a very sort of like Renaissance play in some ways, and I think that adds to it. In a lot of ways, it makes it feel unique compared to the other stories that Disney was making at the time. Yeah, it's a lot. The story's a lot more serious yet lighthearted at the same time. I mean, we could go on and on about the first Lion King. It's the best. It's the best music. It's the best voice acting. It's the best animation. You could just look at that all day. And I wish that movie was a lot longer. But then, at the same time, you appreciate how short it actually is. And speaking of moving on, let's move on. Gonna give our ratings. You're right. We forgot to give our ratings. All right. Ethan, how would you rate The Lion King? Yeah, well, I think The Lion King is almost a perfect movie. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Um, but I still would only give it a 9 out of 10, just because, for me, like a 10 out of 10 film is a film that I would watch over and over, and I'm just not going to sit down and watch The Lion King over and over, to tell you the truth. But I still think it that's is... because you didn't have the VHS. Yeah, that's true. I didn't wear out the tape. But, um... Yeah, no, it's just, it's a classic movie. I don't I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I still have had the opening song stuck in my head for a while now. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just a perfect film in some ways. And for me, I also give it a 9 out of 10. It's pretty much near perfection. There's a few minor things that, you know, kind of get to me a little. But a lot of that is frustration. But I think that's good to be frustrated in a story because you're so invested in it. So it's 9 yeah, out of 10 that's for true. me. So... Like I said, Lion King feels like a contained story. But this juggernaut of a franchise was not going to be left alone by Disney. Not only did they start their stage play, they also quietly put in production their own Lion King 2, Simba's Pride, which was released straight to video in the year 1998. Yeah, and it still went to theaters in other countries, right? Like Australia, and I think maybe UK had theatrical release. But not many people know about the Lion King 2, Simba's Pride. And if they do... They kind of just write it off because other straight-to-DVD sequels like the Aladdins or um, Beauty and the Beast sequels, they're kind of hold to a lesser standard because it's not the same thing. But there's something special about The Lion King 2, and I think it's very, very underrated. Yeah, for sure. And, you know... And this, um, you've never seen it, right? Until you saw Yeah, it I hadn't since. saw it until we just watched it leading up to the current film. But, um, yeah, Lion King 2, it's an interesting film. I think... In some ways, it takes elements uh, from there were considered plot and song elements that they wanted to do in the original Lion King and adapts them to create a new story, and that's a good thing because it helps it still feel on the quality of the first film. Yeah, I think they really 
I think they took a lot of care to this one. And so the story of Lion King 2 is Simba has a daughter who's said to be the queen of Pride Rock, and her name's Kiara. And he's obsessed with taking care of her because he knows firsthand how quickly things can change and lions can die. So she's exploring and she finds Kovu. And Kovu is, um, I don't know if he's related to Scar. No, he's he's more like just Scar picked an heir, basically. This is something that happened, uh, we didn't see in Lion King 1, but yeah, Scar... Yeah, apparently there was like a rogue nation of lions that yeah. supported Scar. Yeah, sort of a Mission Impossible style thing. So when Scar was killed in the first one, Simba took over, he banished the lions that supported Scar. And this little cub, Kovu, who kind of looks like Scar, he's got a scar in his face and everything. Yeah. It, it turns into like a Romeo and Juliet type story again, following that Shakespearean. Yeah, that sort of that sort of Renaissance play style, and it, and it plays out really well. I think it's a story that sounds like it shouldn't work on paper, but it ends up being really interesting to see the character development. And again, one of the main reasons it works is the songs are actually really too good for a straight yeah. DVD film. Yeah, some of the music feels better. Some of the songs feel more legendary than the first film, which Lebo is Lebo M who wrote a lot is this african singer who wrote a lot of songs for the first lion king with hans zimmer he comes back for this film and he writes these beautiful beautiful songs for the lion king yeah for the lion king 2 the lion king 2 <laughs> yeah and some of them were so good that they actually put them in the stage show yeah of the first lion king like i think in recent years i've listened to the lion king 2 soundtrack more than i have to the first one yeah and it's funny even like um the plot, the idea of what happens with um, Kiara and Kovu um, is even something like we see Rafiki that's like shocked at, which is funny. Yeah, um, they grow up and Rafiki tries to play like the matchmaker and make them fall in love because if they can fall in love, they can reunite the clans. Yeah. Their prides. Yeah, the prides. And and ultimately, yeah, it works out. It's It ends up being a pretty good self-contained story that, that adds on to The Lion King. And... Even though straight to video, a lot of the main cast came back. Yeah. James Earl Jones came back for a brief role as his Forest Ghost. Matthew Broderick came back as Simba. The uh, the talented actor who played Rafiki, who's known as uh, Robert Gilame, I think is how you pronounce it, he came back. And so I think that really added to the validity of this Lion King. Yeah, even Nathan Lane and Ernie Sabella came back, who I called Ernie Pyle earlier, which is a World War II war correspondent. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> well, there's, there's a lot of Ernies out there. Yeah. But even, like, the the cast for uh, the character, the, the actor that played Kovu was Jason Marsden, and a lot of people may know that voice from uh, the Goofy movie. As yeah. Max. Yeah, he, Goofy's he, son. he feels like someone who shouldn't work for the role, but... Just kind of like how Matthew Broderick works in his role, uh, Kovu still works. Yeah, so I'm, I'm bummed it wasn't released theatrically. I think it wasn't doing really well. And any time I watch The Lion King, the first one, I immediately want to watch the second one because it's just a great pairing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, Lion King 2 does pick up right where the first film leaves off, and it's it's interesting, and I think it's worth a checkout for and, people that haven't seen and it. And I remember when it first came out, I was four years old. I couldn't wait to get that VHS tape and watch that. Yeah, so what are you going to rate this one? This one, I give it a 8 out of 10, and I think it's a little higher because some of these things I'm so nostalgic for that I give it a little higher score, but I give it a solid 8 out of 10. Yeah, and I, I still give this film an 8 out of 10 as someone oh, who really? hadn't, wow. hadn't even seen it before, which, yeah, it's probably surprising for all the people who don't know how I rate things, but um, 
yeah, I mean, this film, um, it's a good, it's a good watch. I'm, I'm shocked. You know, I really didn't have any expectations going in, if, if not expecting it to be a worse film than it was, but it ended up being really great. Yeah, definitely. So you get one and two, they're perfect for each other, with each other, <laughs> for each other. What's next? Is there ever going to be a Lion King three? Well, no, you don't mess with perfection. Instead, we get Lion King one and a half. Or what did you, Lion King 3, Hakuna Matata. What is one and a half? Can you tell me what this Lion King prequel is? Lion King 3 is an interesting film because uh, it sort of falls in between Lion King 1 and 2 in the way... It doesn't even fall... on. It falls in between Lion King 1, basically. It's yeah, so a, explain the different two different titles here. Yeah, there's two titles because the film was originally... I believe it was originally released under Lion King 1 and a half, and... Later on, they changed it to be the Lion King 3 Akuna Matata just because it's a little easier. I think one and a half is... I like the title. It's just something that's confusing to explain. I think people get confused when they hear it. It's like the pre-sequel. Yeah, but it's such a cool name. It I is don't a know cool why name. they don't refer to that more. And it was straight to video, right? Yeah, I'm straight pretty to sure. DVD. And it was a 2004-2003. Lion King one and a half was released in 2004. So it was coinciding with the 10th anniversary of the original film. Yeah. And it's 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 such an interesting concept. Lion King one and a half is it takes place alongside the original film, and it's it's something that that almost doesn't feel canon, though that really doesn't matter. I know, but if it follows our favorite sidekicks Timon and Pumbaa, and the film that starts out perfectly, it starts with the same intro as the first Lion King, with the sun coming up and the song playing, and then Timon and Pumbaa start talking. And then you see them on the screen with their shadows in the yeah, theater. Yeah, sort seats. of like a, a mystery science theater three thousand or yes, yeah, so it's a reference thing. to that um, that type of parody thing. And I think as they they do that throughout, and it's a really unique perspective that you don't see in these type of films. Yeah, but and that's not even the main point. It's not like just a riff tracks with Timon and Pumbaa because what we get is then they want to go back and tell their side of the story so we can get the backstory. Of these characters get to learn a bit more about them. Yes, yeah, Lion King origins Timon. Yeah, and pretty much. Pumbaa. And it shows how they got to where they were to when they meet Simba at their um, sanctuary in the first film. But what's funny is it's actually a pretty good story, you know, overall. Yeah, yeah and I, and the way it builds to it builds the relationships between Timon and Pumbaa and Simba more, something that, you know, would have been good to see on screen but just wasn't put in the original film. Yeah, it's hilarious too, and you see other... Like you said, you get to see them hang out with Simba more when he's a teenager and when he's a little kid. Yeah, and it's cub. it's something that really relies on the fact that Timon and Pumbaa, Nathan Lane, and Ernie Simbella again, just the their charisma in the studio and on and screen. And the chemistry is unbelievable. Yeah, it's just they go perfect together. The jokes, I mean, those jokes that I really laugh out loud at in that film, I think the, the way they're able to hit it off and really carry the film the whole time, despite it really just being two goofy side characters, is really interesting. And then again... The music is off the chain. They create one new uh, song here. It's called Digatana. And it's it's one of the good songs of Lion King. It's just about the lemurs. The lemurs? The meerkats. <laughs> it's about uh, meerkats. about Madagascar. Yeah. Right, it's right. about the meerkats digging tunnels. And yeah, I mean, this is honestly like I think I've the best song. I've been singing that for 20 years. Yeah, now. I think it's the best song out of Lion King, which probably pisses off some people, but it is. It is an amazing song. It's It'll get stuck in your head if you hear it, too. And then they bring back the classic songs like The Lion Sleeps Tonight and Can You Feel the Love Tonight. Yeah, and they just There's a lot of, of tonights. Yeah, they sort of add and build on to those things. And it's just hilarious 
Yeah, it's it's a good story. It's something that um, you know I think would be interesting to see in other franchises, and because there was this other story that was written by someone that kind of is the idea of what of what are Shakespeare stories when you see them through the lens of those goofy side characters that he always has, and that's basically what this film is. It's it's the story of the Lion King through the lens of those goofy side characters, Timon and Pumbaa. And I feel like this is the one that you saw the most and maybe the one that I saw the most because this was the only one that we had on DVD growing up, so we kind of watched it a lot. Yeah, yeah, I did see this movie a lot. I, I definitely remembered it more than the other ones, which and I haven't seen. Yeah, I also want to point out, it's also the first time I ever heard the soundtrack to The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly was in Lion King 1 and a half. Yeah, which doesn't make any sense, but I guess that's how it happens for some of us. I know, everything starts with that song. So, yeah, I mean, is there anything else you want to say, or should we head to our ratings? Um, no, I mean, just you had Nathan Lane back, you had Ernie back, Matthew Broderick came back, you had some new additions to the cast, like Jerry Stiller, you may know from King of Queens or Seinfeld, and they do great voice work on all the Lion Kings, but I mean, for me, this one I gotta give a 10 out of 10. I just love the format that they came up with, the comedy, the music, and also a little bit of that nostalgic factor growing up with this. Yeah, I don't know what he's talking about, but I would still <laughs> give this film a 7 out of 10. It's it's a good story. Um, it's just, it's not also like something that really hits you in the heart like the other Lion King films do. So it's definitely, it's more of a comedic story, but it's still good. 7 out of 10 is good. That moment Timon realizes his only friend in the world is Pumbaa doesn't get your heartstrings going? I mean, yeah, sure. Those those moments with those characters are great to see, but it's not something where it's as powerful as as... Simba losing his father. Or when Timon leaves his mother to go find a new life. I no. mean, come on. That's, no. I, no. What are you talking about? No one, no one cried when Timon left his mother. Alright. So if you haven't checked that out, um, I think it's a really cool find and you should have fun watching that. So, three Lion Kings. We're all done. Lion King's been nothing else to talk about, no, we right? We don't talk about that TV show. Oh, we forgot about the TV show. There was a couple of TV shows... In the 90s, there was a Timon and Pumbaa TV show on Disney Channel, but recently there has been kind of a reboot of sorts, and it's called The Lion Guard, and it's in this alternate dimension universe where Simba has two kids, Kiara and his son, which name I believe is... It's Keon? Keon. So in this universe, this show, The Lion Guard, follows Keon as he joins this band of guards that like guard the pride lands yeah right? yeah basically i think it's sort of like a simba's like all right you got to be the lion guard now i don't know i don't know i don't know enough to say but i the, think the it's still like kiara is still in the show it didn't get rid of her yeah that's that's something that almost makes it weird that she's still in the show but i don't know it's we never watched it there's been a lot though there's already been 55 and episodes. rob Lowe plays simba james earl jones actually came back to play mufasa yeah, I don't understand that Rob Lowe. That doesn't, like, I, it just doesn't make any sense, like, at all to me. The poor man's Matthew Broderick, am I right? Yeah, I guess that's one way to put it. <sighs> but we didn't really have time to check out the show, but it's been on for a few years now, so it seems to be doing well. It's still moving forward. Yeah, it's been on since 2016. It had 55 episodes. 55 so I guess episodes, man. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's weird. It's something like, I guess, check it out. But I think it's a Disney Junior show, so, you know, expect what you're expecting there. Yeah, it's good for little kids. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. So it's that's not the gonna... Lion Guard, and we cannot rate that because we have not officially seen the Lion Guard. Yeah, so that gets an unrated from both of us. So that should wrap up our podcast today. 
with The Lion King, right? There's nothing else to talk about. Yeah, I think there's nothing else to discuss at all. Wait, what is this? Oh, hold on. We didn't realize there's a nature documentary out called The Lion King. Yeah, very similar film. All right, so let's get real here. 2019 has arrived, and John Favreau, who helped usher in the Marvel Universe with creating Iron Man, he directed Elf. He's a, he's a good director. He's directed a lot of stuff, right? Yeah, he's been around. He's done some good projects. I'm not a fan of all of his stuff, but he's had some good projects. And he's a cool guy. I like everything he acts in. He's a cool guy as Happy Hogan. Yeah, he's even a chef. Yeah, he was in Chef. Um, He started as an indie filmmaker. Him and Vince Vaughn made this small film called Swingers about trying to make it big in Las Vegas. And that's kind of cool how they started so small. and Now he's at the top, yeah. The top of the pride rock. But anyway, Favreau, a few years ago, created the Jungle Book with Disney, and he created this new technology, which he's kind of beating Cameron at, James Cameron, where everything in that world is digital. It looks so real, though, that you can't even tell. Jungle Book was a massive hit with that new technology back in 2016, right? Yeah, I mean, I never saw it. It still doesn't interest me at all, because the Jungle Book doesn't interest me as a story, but, I mean... It was a huge hit. It was pretty popular. And you can't really just do a sequel to The Jungle Book, which I'm glad they didn't do. So instead, what they decided to do is, Hey, John, come over here. Oh, hey, how you doing? Yeah. Um, You did great in The Jungle Book. We would like you to make The Lion King live action. Sure, no problem. So John Favreau takes three years. He comes out with a remake of the original Lion King film. And it's kind of called a live action film. Yeah. But really... Everything you see there is animated, which is an impressive feat on its own. Yeah, it's impressive, but I think what you'll immediately see in theaters is the lack of style. And that's something that I've never been a huge fan of this style, because it's just... It's so realistic that it's almost like, what's the point? Like, I I don't ever feel... I don't ever feel like what it, what makes this different than just going out and filming the real world. You know, you gotta have something that makes it interesting to look at. I mean, there's times, to me... When you're looking at the screen, it's like, what am I even supposed to look at? Like, it's just creating your own visual clutter in nature can be too much, in my opinion. Well, I had reservations from the beginning to the tickets, man. I bought my tickets already. No, I had reservations that yeah. when this was announced, people were like, oh my god, the Lion King! Ah! I can't believe but, it's coming back. But for me, I'm like, knowing that style he has already, I'm like, I don't know if the Lion King like that's going to work. Well, it came out. We both had a chance to see it. I always like to go into films with an open mind. I kind of take a deep breath as the credits are coming up for the movie to give everything its fair shot. And I gotta say, this brand new Lion King that was highly anticipated, one of the biggest to be one of the biggest films of the year, I came out very uh, disappointed. And that's a strong word for me to say. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I I wanted to go in the same way, but I mean, there were just it was pretty quick that the film lost me. I mean, there were redoing the lion king and redoing it the way that john favreau chose to is it just didn't work on screen it feels like it was just redone beat for beat instead of being added to all these new live action films aladdin beauty and the beast even jungle book they were enhanced to enhance the story not just a complete rehash which is actually what the lion king ended up being yeah, and, and that's what almost makes it not enjoyable to watch, especially if you watch the original and then go watch this film. You're really going to catch those differences and, and really think, well, why even bother changing the little things that they do change? Because I don't think there is one positive change in this film, to be honest. Yeah, because we talked about how I think if you haven't seen The Lion King for 10 years or 5 years and you go in to see this, you're going to have a better time than someone who watched The Lion King 
the day before going to see this one. And it's not the realistic stuff that's throwing us off. I think they didn't bring anything new to the table to perfect a film that was already perfect on its own. Yeah, well, it's it's almost interesting that um, when they re when they did the Lion King as a stage play, that was one of the things they were trying to think: how can we make this story different and have a purpose of being a stage play? And that was that ended up working very well. It ended up being a very high quality play. And Whereas, what did they do to change? What did they do in the musical to change? Well, I mean, you know, this was kind of something that came up in that documentary we were watching on the Blu-ray, but there were things like, instead of having, you know, a sort of, like, puppet uh, antelopes come out, they had a vice, like, a tricycle come out with antelopes on it. Like, these weird setups and designs, having the faces always visible with the lion masks, for example. Yeah, they choose to have this, like, hyper-real thing where you see the actor holding up a puppet and everything. Yeah. So you understand it and you kind of connect with it more. Yeah, so and, it had a style. It had yeah. something that's completely different. You've it never had seen a style, it before. its own style, and that's what's missing from this Lion King. The second they lost me is when the first song came up, I Just Can't Wait to Be King. Right when Simba starts singing that. In the animated film, it's one of the more colorful yeah, moments I mean, of the film. The film turns like pink and bright yellow, like colors that you didn't expect this film to throw at you, and it's it's stunning. I mean, it's, it's something that uh, this film doesn't hold up to at all because it's Because dead. what do you lose... When you choose to be so realistic, you lose that vivid style and color because now that same song is played in this new film, but he's just running around a pond. Yeah, it's just basically like running around the same scenery we'd seen in that in that scene. It was like kind of you know in out in the sand out near a pond, and it's just all right. What's this is just regular. There's nothing different going on here. Yeah, and it's like that for the rest of the film. Anything in the cartoon that's very artsy and abstract and is clearly an art, creative art thing is gone in this film because it has to be grounded and realistic. So that's the moment that it lost it for me. But where in the film did you kind of say, like, whoa, man, this is going off the rails a little? Yeah, well, I mean, it's almost sad to say that for me, we're barely into the film, and we have Mufasa sort of come on, and he's talking with the new voice actor for Zazu, who I don't think works at all. Stephen Colbert? Yeah, I don't think he worked at all. And then, sort of, we immediately start to see where did they change the script. Uh, For instance, uh, right after... Um, the, he's talking to Scar, right? Yeah, he's talking to Scar, and then that part's pretty much the same in the script. But then we have, you know, Mufasa come over, and they have their lines. And then it's like they he's change... Like, oh, Zazu, what do we do with Scar? Yeah, it's like the lines that they didn't change, Mufasa feels like he doesn't deliver with enough strength. Uh, James Earl Jones feels like he doesn't deliver yeah. with enough strength. And then it feels like anything they do change is just, like, pointless. The joke, There's no point in changing the jokes, because then it's like, why aren't you just following the same script? For me, it's little moments like that where the film feels even less charismatic because, to me, it feels like they're in the script room. They're like, "All right, we got to delete this line. What are we going to replace yeah. it with? It sounds funny. I don't know. Put in a joke about a woodpecker. It so doesn't work." I believe work. the moment you're talking about in the original cartoon, Mufasa says, "What do I do with Scar?" And then the bird Zazu says, "He would make a great throw rug." Yeah, and that joke. <laughs> and then Mufasa, like James Earl Jones, has this like funny chuckling response, and you Zazu. see a little. Yeah, and he laughs. It's like a little emotion out so of it. So you're laughing just thinking about it. Yeah. Cause but what do they say in the new film? In like? the new film, instead, Zazu says, like, well, my family had a woodpecker, and it's just, I hate it. I hated it, and he brings it back up later in the film, so. And that's where I think Favreau tried to change things up. He had good intentions, it just didn't work out. And then, so the film kind of goes along, and then, to me, it picked up a little bit when we met Timon and Pumbaa, which were voiced by Billy Eichner and Seth Rogen, but it still was a tragedy to not use Nathan Lane and Ernie again. 
Yeah, well, and that almost comes back to Mufasa again because it's like, well, we got all new voice actors, but not Mufasa specifically. Oh no, we didn't replace James him. James Earl Jones. You don't yeah. touch him. He's Darth Vader. But the thing He's is, filled with dreams. They needed to build their own film, and by having one voice actor come back, especially basically the most important voice actor, it almost like, all right, well, where's Nathan Lane? Where's yeah. Ernie Sabella? I felt that while I will admit, I Billy Eichner did. He, he kind of won me over a little. He brought charisma to the role. I, I didn't love it, but he brought charisma to the role. Seth Rogen was terrible. Oh Seth Rogen, when he was speaking, was fine, but why did they make him sing? When he was singing Akuna Matata, I felt horrible for him because he could not sing at all. But yeah, even in the, animate, in the animated film, the actors didn't sing. They brought in professional singers. Why didn't yeah. they just do that for this? Yeah, in the original film, they would sort of fade it in. You'd have, like, the voice actor say one line or something that would lead right into the professional singer, and it worked great on it screen. It was seamless. Yeah, it was edited well, and everything felt right. With this, I mean, sure, they got singers for, like, Donald Glover and Beyonce, which we'll get to her, but, I mean, just having mm -hmm. Seth Rogen, no, it didn't work at all. And another thing is the look. It's so realistic at the same time, but... um. Like, the look of Scar was um, controversy for some people because in the cartoons, he's this tan, dark lion. Yeah, he has a different with, sort of... And he looks evil. Yeah, he has a different sort of um, mane and everything. He looks very different. But with this, it's just... He just... It becomes hard to tell the lines apart, which is sad to say. Yeah, the least. I didn't, I didn't, couldn't tell who Beyonce was the whole time. Yeah, I, I thought it was I, the mother. I didn't even know it was her, which, I don't know. It's just... And that goes back to, we talked about how the three Lion King films were amazing in their voice casting. I think this is the first Lion King film where the casting was off and the delivering of some of the lines. Yeah, especially Beyonce in particular. I she didn't work. We're, we're going to get in trouble talking <laughs> yeah. about Beyonce here. I mean, there's no way around it. We're going to have to suffer because she didn't, she didn't work. The lines didn't work on screen. It's because she's not really an actor. It's her yeah. fault. She's a singer. She sounds good in Can You Feel the Love Tonight, which is just all right. But she yeah. sounds good singing it. But the way she delivered lines had no life to it. Yeah, even and even I'll, I'll go as far to say even the music when she was in it, nothing felt like alive. It didn't feel like everyone was bringing their egg game. And they wrote, they had like one new song that was terrible too that <laughs> popped up with, from her, and that just that wasn't even. And they were singing "Can You Feel the Love Tonight" during the day. Yeah, which is <laughs> the sequence. There was small any sequence that was changed was changed for the worse. Even they basically got rid of the be prepared sequence because Disney thought it looked too much like the Nazis, which doesn't make any yeah, sense. Yeah, with the hyenas and oh, the hyenas. Yeah, we didn't even get to the hyenas yet. The hyenas were some of the funniest moments in the cartoon. Here, they don't have a funny bone in their body. Yeah, it's it's awkward. It's painful to watch. I mean... And you get Keegan-Michael Key from Key and Peele, who's one of the funniest actors out there, and you held him back from doing and anything. And they had Eric Andre, who's yeah. a big hit right now, too. Both those guys together, just it didn't even feel like them. I didn't no. want to laugh no. at all. And I, I did like Donald Glover, because he's just a cool guy, Childish Gambino, and he actually sounded like Matthew Broderick a little. Like I couldn't even tell them apart. Yeah, that that he's like one of the few that worked, but you know, even then, it's just like a diamond in the rough. It didn't work enough. It wasn't enough. Um, that, yeah, I mean, like the, the hyenas, especially. It's just there the joke. They tried to come up with a new joke instead of doing the previous joke of having like the hyenas would be too close to each other or something. But it just felt awkward on screen. Yeah, and then they get to the end, and there's this famous funny moment with Timon and Pumbaa when they're trying to figure out how to storm Pride Rock, and. Timon has to do the bait, and he does the very famous hula scene. 
Yeah, where that's where in he the cartoon. Says, yeah, that's where he says, "Do you want me to dress up and drag and do the hula?" It's like the famous line, and they were gonna cut it from the original film, but when during test screenings, people loved it. Yeah, and yeah, obviously that scene's hilarious. But you know that can't happen in this film. So yeah, what do they do in this film instead of that? They end up just referencing that thing from Beauty and the Beast, right? Yeah, the Be Our Guest song, which just didn't work at all. Yeah, that that I didn't like that at all. I'm also not a huge fan of Beauty and the Beast, so that didn't yeah, it work. didn't really work. This movie was a half hour longer than the original film, but I feel like the things they did extend was just kind of a waste of time. Yeah, I mean, it was the things that they did extend was like when the mouse crawls out that's going to be eaten by uh, Scar in the beginning of the film. They extended yeah, but it's that. It's just the mouse running around. Yeah, why do we need to see a mouse? But we running can't around? forget we finally reveal the story of the hair. Yeah, we get to really see the journey of how did Simba's hair manage to reach Rafiki? And we get this like three minute journey of the hair just blowing in the wind all the way to Rafiki. Yeah, I was rolling my eyes during that scene to be honest. And speaking of that, one of the characters who really suffered from being so grounded was Rafiki. Yeah, Rafiki basically does nothing in this film. He can't even speak. Yeah, he doesn't add anything. He doesn't do... He doesn't have his customary stick. Yeah, he doesn't do the famous the famous scene from Look The Lion King. Look beyond what you seek. Yeah, the famous scene from The Lion King is where he hits Simba with the stick. We even mentioned it when we were talking about Lion King 1. It doesn't even happen in this film. They made fun of it in the other Lion King films. Yeah, he's just there. He has one really cool moment, which makes no sense at all, where it's time to go fight on Pride Rock, and he puts his hand inside his tree... And he brings out this stick, and he's like, "Hello, old friend." Yeah, so he like, kind of yeah, he becomes like John Wick out of nowhere. Was it like, like a war yeah, that he didn't know about? Finding the finding the guns under the house or something? No, it's not. It just doesn't make any sense you at work, all. You working again, Rafiki? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't work at all. Like, Rafiki's back. Oh. <laughs> yeah, he's not John Wick. Oh, that's what we need uh, a prequel series about. But I will say. My favorite part of the movie was actually the end credits, and that's pretty sad. <laughs> but I actually loved uh. the new Elton John song, It's Never Too Late, and it was followed by two new songs by Lebo M, who came back. See, I don't even remember. Like, Were those in the credits? Like, yeah, they were, were literally they? See, just the credits, and I had a good time listening to those three songs back-to-back -back that we stayed through the whole credits, even though there wasn't an end credits scene, just listening to that African jungle music. See, I was just depressed sitting there after the film yeah. ended. I was it, honestly just like looking forward, like, what now? Yeah, It's Never Too Late by Ellen John was a great addition that they didn't use in the film. They just put halfway down the credits. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know what to say. I mean, it was even um, the famous scene where Mufasa appears as a force ghost in the clouds you can you can't even see him like you just can't you can see a little bit of lightning where his face could be but it's not even like clear where you're supposed to be looking yeah and they got rid of the slow motion i mean it's just i feel like it's hard to compare but this movie is designed to be compared to the original beauty and the beast did it great aladdin did it great um, this mulan's coming up is looking to change it up yeah. but what's different about mulan is they're saying right off the bat hey we're changing it up yeah, Mulan, which I had, I was very skeptical, but I'm a little sold now after the first trailer. But, uh, you know, with Mulan, they said, yeah, we're going to do something different. And at first, I'm like, well, why? Why are you bothering to do something different? But now, I see why they're doing something different. They probably were at the test screening for The Lion King. They're like, we got to change this up. Yeah. So I think it's a shame that this happened. And I'm glad it made a lot of money. But I hope people see the film and they kind of be like, it just leads them back to the original classic. But why are you glad it made a lot of money? Because people love The Lion King. There was no way it wasn't going to make a lot of money. Yeah, I think I think this is, and this is my feeling, is I think that, that we shouldn't be happy these films are making money if they're not good. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, 
But for some people, it was amazing. That's true. Very few people. Yeah, that's true. Very few people. I don't know. And I think that is people who haven't seen the original in a long time. To me, I feel like Disney has felt a little greedy doing these live-action remakes. And it feels... The, yeah, I don't the... feel that way. Really? No. Huh. Well, I, that's certainly... I think that's a sentiment a lot of people have. And I, I know, for me, it feels a lot worse, especially when you get a film like this where it's just worse. Like, maybe if it, they're all like The Lion King where they don't change anything... Maybe, but these other films are really enhancing those worlds of the Renaissance, the Disney Renaissance yeah. films. We're also getting things like Dumbo, though. Oh yeah, Dumbo. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's, just, I don't it's Dumbo. What do you expect? Yeah, I don't know. I I think Disney is letting this all go to their head too much, and not to mention the fact that in within a year we've had Dumbo, Mulan's coming out soon, pretty much Lion King, yeah, Aladdin. Aladdin. What was and, the other uh, one? Maleficent's yeah. coming out. Maleficent. I mean, they're just, they're pumping it out. And the fact of the matter is these films are all making like a billion dollars a piece. Yeah. Which is in some, uh, to me, it's concerning. But, I mean, I don't know. That's just where we're at right now. Yeah, I don't know. But I before really we get know. too far off track for our sort of almost wrap up, what would you <laughs> rate this film? I rate The Lion King a 5 out of 10. After being so impacted by watching these other Lion Kings again and having a good time, I was just really disappointed with my experience yeah and i gave it the same rating as well five out of ten uh, this film i mean i don't know it's i don't know how to put it it's 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 sad to see that this is how it went down i think john favreau could have done better i think he was tired of it already he already been doing the jungle stuff for a long time with jungle book and he's really ready to move on to the mandalorian with that star wars show coming out on disney plus yeah i mean i don't even know what other films i have given a five I gave the original Mulan a 5. <laughs> well, you know on IMDb, when you check on there, you can actually just see what you've rated all fives. Really? Yeah. How would you... IMDb.com. <laughs> yeah, I don't the know. place it's, for movies. It's... All right. He was getting a little distracted there. But you gave it a 5 out of 10. I get a 5 out of 10. That's pretty shocking, especially even coming from me, who I rarely ever give below a 7. Yeah, that's what I was trying to check. I wanted to make sure that I rated this film alongside Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. Because that's, that's the metric, the 5 out of 10 films. That's where this film is. It's not good. Uh, Transformers. So, yeah, I mean, is there any other sort of wrap-ups we want to mention about The Lion King? No, I think that's it. I think that we watched them about over a week ago, but I'm still in that world because the music has been in my head the whole time. Yeah, that's, that's certainly what stays with you in the end, and that's what makes these films, you know, Lion King 1, 2, and 3, and or 1.5, stay with you. Yeah, so it's a great time with The Lion King. Yeah, I would recommend seeing the cartoons instead, but, you know, do what you want. I say check out The Lion King live action for yourself, even though it's not live action. It's just amazing feat of technology. It just needs to be put into the right story. I don't know. I guess that's one way to look at it. I can't say hey, I hey, agree. Hey, hey, But hey. Akuna Matara. Yeah, Akuna Matara. Akuna Matara. No worries. So that's going to wrap it up for The Lion King Dimension. This has been podcast number 37. We'll be back. Keep checking for that. And follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can listen to this podcast and all of our other podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, CastBox, pretty much anywhere they play podcasts, we're streaming. So make sure to check us out. So take us away, Lebo M. Hey, yo. Um, away, yo.